and welcome to another episode of Flail Forward, the podcast about game design and amateurism. Uh, welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Fred, and I have with me this week, Mr. Karaznawar. Hello. And Catrice. I'm technically here. <laughs> and Jonathan. Hello. And Cavoir. Yeah, hi. And Mr. Mark. Hello. All right, perfect. So this week, we're going to be talking about uh, creating a system for capability versus direction. Uh, now, I know that that might not make total sense, when, what I just said. Uh, I'm sure some people are nodding their heads and some have no idea what I just said. So Some of them are in the channel. <laughs> some of them are right here. Uh, either way. Uh, so, Mark... Uh, do you want to give us a quick, at least starting definition for what you were thinking about? Yeah. So, um, I think when I was first, uh, proposing this as a topic, it was really about how different people will approach designing a game based on how much they want to incorporate, um, the thematic elements of their design. Um, so one approach could be that you want to take um, you want to enable players to take a character from kind of like the ether, like from whatever dark corner of their mind exists, and be able to translate that into a playable character in your rule set. Um, and other people have the approach where they would say, I want to create a rich setting, a rich uh, experience, and have very defined roles within that, that players will come and... Um, create something from within this set that I've defined. Um, both are fine and both exist in games that do really well. Um, so it's just about how do we tailor our approach to our vision for what we'd like our game experience to be. And how do we stay aware of the choices we make that are relevant to these, to the spectrum? Exactly. I think it's it's along the lines of defining what your your mission statement is when you're sitting down and planning out what your game's going to be. How do you create the rails that you yourself stay on to guide your vision for what kind of rules and what kind of uh, themes exist in your game? All right. Yeah, so I'm I'm thinking of this as more of a broadly applicable like character concept sync versus a thematic emphasis what do you mean by that thing like um the first option would be the game is specifically or maybe not specifically intended to implement any character concept like within the bounds of certain parameters like you're not going to drop a space marine into Faerun right and such um, and and then the other the other extreme is my game has a very tight and very highly emphasized theme and the characters, the structure of the characters and what they do is 
meant to carry through that emphasis of theme. Exactly. So, I think, I, oh, go for it, Mark. Yeah, I was just going to build on that. I think um, some games to look for or towards in that sense. Um, Rises is very open-ended in terms of like you can actually draw characters from anywhere. Like you could do the Space Maroon and Space Marine in Faroon. Um, but there are other games like even Dungeons and Dragons where you can come with an approach of, I think this is my character's motivation. Um, and that can be wildly different from another character's motivations. Um, so that is very open-ended in terms of what the um, capability of the system is. And then if you were to look at other games like um, Blades in the Dark, you usually have a more de better defined motivation for the group um, that I guess exists for the characters within it. Um, and there might be some variance, but it's much more directed in terms of what everyone's objectives are. Is this is fair? beyond. But I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, this goes beyond like characters um, into uh, like again to take blades in the dark, how they use uh, stress and vices. Yeah, uh, stress, absolutely. Stress is pretty general, but the vices are very specific way uh, of dealing with them. Um, and that's very blades in the dark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was I was gonna say um, as Carl was talking about his point um, that I don't think character creation, character concept is the whole of this, it's a good example. And it's, it's a, a large part of this in many cases, but it's, it's not the whole of it. It's, I think this is talking, this is a system wide thing yes. more than it is just a character creation system thing. Yeah. It's, it's more than that. It's also what the mechanic, what the mechanics are and how they, what types of actions and interactions they set up either for the players or for the characters or between characters. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So now that we kind of know at least decently what we're talking about, maybe we should talk. And let's... <laughs> well, that's arguable. Um, but anyway, maybe we should talk about uh, kind of the types of direction we can take. Because as we said, this is a spectrum. Uh, but let's start on the direction end of the spectrum. Uh, and this may come from a personal bias because I much prefer directed games. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that the other ones are bad. I just, that's my way of going at it. Um, and there's like, uh, I'll take... Uh, something like Power by the Apocalypse, I think, is more towards the further end of the spectrum, like uh, Monster Hearts or Apocalypse World or Urban Shadows or Blades in the Dark are all made to have a much more specific experience. I mean, as much as specific as you can get within a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. um, and they're made to have that fairly directed, fairly specific experience. Um, whereas something like, I mean, we brought up Dungeons and Dragons earlier. Uh, which I think for me feels like it falls towards the middle because it's fantasy, but there's a lot of space to play within that fantasy. Hmm. There's a lot of different settings and you can even kind of just make your own setting up because it's not, um, it's, it's setting, um, 
you know, the setting isn't as defined, it's but it's still like you, you play fantasy. Setting agnostic, but not. Yeah. But then you get something D- like GURPS. Yeah. Yeah. D and D appears to be in the middle because the closest thing it has to a theme is really just running around killing shit. So, and a lot of a lot of players don't realize that's all the theme in it. So they kind of project their own desires into it, and D and D has a habit of making room for those projections in a way that it doesn't really care about. But I I think actually um, one of the things that you brought up there is is probably one of the strengths of D and D, and especially the things that exist more in the middle of that spectrum and maybe to the other end um which is that you can kind of project or you know do what you want to do um you know it's you're not as boxed in so to speak with the direction the game designer wanted to wanted you to go wanted you to take it well you're not boxed in but you're also not directed at all the way Blades in the Dark or Rises or Apocalypse directs the players into a theme or a motivation or a tone. Okay. I, uh, I guess. <laughs> Take it, Kevor. Okay, I guess I'll, I'll say what I thought, what I was intending with the name of the like how I name this. Um, essentially, the types of direction are some some things have heavy tonal direction, but will have light thematic direction. Some things have uh, how do I put this? Like the main types of direction, as I see them, are tonal. Uh, I get to call it occupational, and that's a terrible name for it. But basically, the to- the direction in what you should be doing is an is a type of direction that can that is. Sometimes that is sometimes designed for and sometimes important, and other times, even though there's a heavy theme and characters are going to look similar, there's no real direction in what you actually do. Um, what I'm thinking of here is uh, things like oh, what? Do I, darn, I had an example and then it, I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> Crap. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And then, then, okay, and like uh, there's the actual the tone, and then there's uh, I'm gonna call it nature. Like, uh, there are some game. This does su- usually tie into the other two, but not always. Uh, sometimes there's a a lot of games have a very high emphasis, and they're becoming less common. Like, this is definitely a '90s thing, mostly. Uh, but where they're where the player characters are defined by the nature of the player characters is what makes them player characters. There's like something in universe, and that is something you have to design about the character that is innately a part of the, the system, basically. I don't know how to mm. better than that. Mm, so you're talking about, are you, are you referring to like a vampire Yeah, I'm referring situation? to like a vampire or like any one of the ones where you're playing chosen ones or specials. Okay. In various ways, those are very, those are rather common. Like, there's something innate, there's something in the nature of a player character that makes them a player character in universe. And there was one other thing I wanted to touch on. Uh, oh, right. Uh, and 
there's this isn't quite the same thing, but I want to talk about it for a few seconds. And that is sometimes uh, they will uh, the direction will be within like the the let's say playbook because that's realistically what we're talking about. Sometimes the themes and directions are everybody has slightly different themes and directions that aren't innately true to the entire game, but they are very written to the the class you choose or whatever. Like, I don't know what to say beyond that. Hopefully I can figure (laughs) out the last thing I wanted to say. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I I agree with Kevwar. There's, there's tonal direction. There's thematic direction. Um, I kind of think the next thing he was trying to say was narrative direction. Kind of. Uh, was... although... And then, for lack of a better word, I think there would be, like, egotistical direction. And what I mean by that is, like, the the motivations and drives of the characters themselves beyond any of the other directions. <clears throat> okay. I almost want to put technological direction in somehow there as well, like almost a genre direction, because like games that are set up within like a fantasy setting are distinctively different from games within a sci-fi setting. Like, or even things that are in between, like Shadowrun, for example, like there's there's a big difference between Shadowrun and D D. Even if you play them in the same system, if you use the setting alone, it kind of changes the direction of where everything's up. Yeah, well, the setting is yeah. going to inform the tone. And mm-hmm. well, no, I kind of agree. For for games that are capable of spanning across genres genre is a direction yeah i don't even um i i can see where we're well in, in my opinion i can see where we're going with like these sort of like definitions of directions or or, or differentiating by direction but it's wrong but it, it's valid but um from a, a game design perspective it's not necessarily it's not necessary to know all of them. It's just necessary to know yours. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Well, it is useful to be able to know what these directions are so that you can see how they mesh with your design goals. Well, it, yeah. Well, I, I actually, I would suggest that it would be one of your design goals. Um, like stating something specific about what you want the characters to be or what you want the world to be um, are, are sort of like defining this direction that you, the way, the way you um, want to direct the play of the game as a designer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't thought of this explicitly in these terms when I was setting up my design goals, but I basically included them in my design goals, so it it kind of handled itself. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, what I've written down um, just listening to everyone um, was that there 
kind of three main areas that you can play with. Um, those are the, the system, so more of the mechanical side of things and how you can direct that towards a certain type of feeling or um, narrative style. There's the story itself. So how do you, how do how are stories told through your RPG system? What is like a, a session or a campaign look like? And then the agent. So who is the person that the player is acting through, and what are their influences on how the story is conveyed? Um, and I think those three elements can all be played with in these different ways of what is the nature, what is the motivation, what are the themes and the tone that they set up. Um, but I think those are sort of the three areas that could be looked at for directing the, the, this, uh, I guess, tonal or, or thematic emphasis of the game. Yeah, write those, write those down. I think you've got the beginnings of another triumvirate game theory there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actually, since uh, Mark brought that up, and I think we're kind of uh, hinging on this point, maybe we should then move into uh, how to incorporate direction. Uh, we're going to get into capacity in a little bit, but I think for now, uh, let's talk about how we can, as game designers, incorporate direction and do it well. Um, so the best practices, uh, good examples, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, one of the things that I think is important, and I, I may be the only one who thinks this, is that if you have a direction in your game, you know, if you go, I have a, I have this tonal direction, um, is that you should, as the as the author, be explicit about that, um, or at at the very least, uh, quite implicit about it. Uh, you know, explain. Like, this is kind of the tone that it, I'm going for. Here is the thing, you know, the space I'm wanting. I'm wanting this game to occupy. Uh, here are some tools to play within that tone and to play at that tone. Yeah, that I'll agree be. with that. Even if your intent as a designer is to punt all of those things to the players. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But and I how... think... oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I I need to hear what you said because my mind is wandering. Okay, I was just going to ask, how else can we incorporate direction? Um, we've got Mark's three basic spaces where direction can be put into. Um, so how do we inject direction into those three spaces, um, whether it's tonal or uh, narrative um, or thematic? Etc. So I think one place to look um, is specifically in the mechanics. Um, I think it's um, like just to, to start us off, we can even take some examples of games like the, the playbook idea has a really great structure for enabling you to say, this is what playing this role should feel like. So just the idea of having playbooks where each one is its own unique concept really allows a player to funnel ideas through, like, this is what a rogue should feel like. This is what a beefcake fighter should feel like. Um, yeah. Okay. 
Um, I guess I, I feel obligated to mention masks and how it does things, but I'm not sure I can do very good justice to that. Okay, so masks uh, is uh, powered by the Apocalypse game about uh, teenage superheroes. Anyway, uh, it and it is basically uh, how do I phrase this? It does a lot of things to serve to serve its tone and to serve its themes with its mechanics. Um, it does. It doesn't have traditional hit points. Uh, when you're, you basically just uh, acquire status conditions that negative status conditions that, and that's how. And if you have too many of them, you're run a high risk of being taken out of a fight. And it does a few neat things without, like uh, basically, enemy enemies have have like the same status conditions but they want to have them and they're defeated if they run out whereas you're defeated if you have too many basically is the mirror um because yeah i don't i'm saying this i'm not explaining this very well at all i'm sorry and another like big thing with it is it they it makes you fight for your power and your and your agency by by until you do, until you like go out of your way to reject the influence of someone that can basically alter your stats at will, <laughs> minorly. <laughs> uh, you have like it's not quite at will because you basically when somebody tries to alter your stats, you can resist them doing that, and if you are successful with that, then they no longer can. So you're basically carving, and the game is about growing into yourself and defining your own agency. So that really fits into that, and I guess. That's cool. all I wanted to say about that. Well, even even before the concept of playbooks came onto the scene, mm-hmm. there were lots of games that had particular mechanics that were there to serve the theme or the tone. Like Cthulhu has has sanity points, and like World of Darkness has its humanity stats and whatnot like there's pretty much in like anything that is in the game to support or enhance the theme is probably mechanized in some way oh i think so kind of has it's one of the things that if it's not actually in the rules, then your game's probably not that much about it, kind of thing. Right. Right. Like, there has to be some anchoring point that actually makes that part of the game, instead of just saying that it's part of the game. Yeah. yeah. It, it, has, it has to be a moving part in the game. Yeah. Like, it doesn't need it, to be explicit, necessarily, but there needs yeah, to like, be some feeling of... Well, I think it kind of does have to be explicit to a degree. Like, if you say your game is all about being, like, an assassin and, like, you know, sneaking up and, like, murdering a single target, but you don't have any mechanic in the game for actually, you know, hurting anyone. That makes it kind of difficult for your game to do that. Yeah, but I think... So in a in a similar vein, I think you could say your assassin has a single blow dart gun like shot, and you need to kill this one guy. 
um, and that's all you have, then that creates a whole bunch of what your game experience will feel like because you have just this one shot. Um, so the it doesn't necessarily need to say that like oh you're going to feel like you have limited resources and you're going to feel like you you in, your entire game experience is going to be to line up the perfect opportunity. Um, it just happens because that's a mechanic that exists in the game. But that needs to be in line with what your vision is of the play experience. Yeah, mechanics can have very non-obvious consequences that set up tone or theme or narrative or any of these any of these direction aspects. So I think one of the ideas that we're hitting on is the abilities or the mechanics of the agents are very um, pivotal to what that character is able to do and therefore what the experience of doing those things feels like. So if you're designing a class or if you're designing a playbook or if you're designing uh, some kind of role within the game, um, each of the actions that exists needs to have a specific meaning to what the game will feel like. Mm -hmm. And often that's about kind of how they accomplish the main thrust of the game. Yeah. Uh, like in D&D, &D, uh, a lot of the characters are based around how they fight and how they accomplish combat tasks because mm -hmm. the game is a lot about combat. Mm -hmm. um, or, I mean, and that is, and that is again, part of that theming and that is the... Uh, I don't like micro theming, I guess I can call it, where it's not the whole game, but it's about the specific experience of the player playing that and then how the themes of their character um, impact on the rest of the story. Exactly. Even things like if you just looked at D&D &D and removed movement from the system um, and you just said, oh, we're all in a big room together, you can attack anybody who's in this space it changes what the feel of the game is or the, the tactical element that comes from that kind of play style. So uh, that one mechanic has a lot of um, ramifications in the rest of the game. It has a lot of ramifications for any game that's supposed to take in place in a fictional space. <laughs> well, in a, a tactical space. Well, not even that. Like, if you take movement out of the game, then the presumption is that characters don't move. I guess. No, no, the presumption is that you determine it fictionally. Right. I mean, it's not like characters in, I don't know, Monster Hearts or something don't move, even though there are no rules for movement. It's just that the spatial differences and stuff don't really matter. Exactly. Sometimes, um, sometimes it it's still implied that it matters. It's just it doesn't give you the information. Like, not really a game example, but if you walk into a store and you pick something off the shelf and it doesn't have a price tag on it, you still assume it has a specific price attached. To it. I, yeah, I mean, there are yeah. certain expectations that you yeah. all but like can't if, abandon. If you're in 
a store in North America, you just assume that every item in every store has an explicit set price. If you went to, like, India, you probably assume that you have to barter for it. it. It's based on, like, what the context of that kind of situation is. So, like, different types of games, you can make different assumptions, but there are certain things you can generally just kind of assume, and you'll probably be I think that you're right, um, but it's sort of like this is a good way and this is a bad way because if, if you want your game to think about movement in a tactical sense, you should put rules for movement in a tactical sense. And if you don't care, if you leave them out, players may still do that. Um, I and don't think you, it applies to movement, but I, I, I think that it, you are correct. Yeah, players players will instinctively inject whatever they think is missing. Yeah, um, but and if most you... of the time that doesn't impede the game design at all, but sometimes it does. When your game can't answer something that is important to you as a designer then you're missing something. Um, But if it can't answer something that's important to a player, they might be playing the wrong game. Mm -hmm. So, I think one thing that really does stand out in particular in this particular one is the fail state of the game. Like, you were talking about, like, uh, hit points and stuff to a, a degree earlier. I mean, not every game has that. Like, there's also things like you mentioned, like, uh, Hall of Cthulhu has sanity and things like that, where there's ways to lose other than your character dying. Um, one particular uh, thing that I just want to mention, but it's not even a video game, but it was very... I'm sorry, it's not even a role-playing game, it's actually a video game, but it had a really good concept of that, was it was a Superman game, and Superman is Superman. You can't really kill him. So what they did instead of tracking his health was track the health of Metropolis City itself. If the city basically gets demolished, it doesn't really matter if Superman's okay. You kind of lost anyway. Yeah, character death is just one example, probably the the most obvious example of a character becoming unplayable. Whether that's through narrative circumstance or a mechanical demand. Yeah, there has, or both. There has to be some way to lose the game, though. If you can't lose the game, then it doesn't really feel like it's a game. Like, death is a really obvious See, that's... See, now you're opening a giant can of worms that's going to drag us way off topic. Yeah, I, I'm going to say, I mean, that is part of direction. I'm, I don't think we need to get into that that much. Um, no. Yeah. Uh, I, you don't need a failure mechanic. In fact, part of 
choosing whether or not to have one and what that is is part of direction. Um, but that's kind of getting into the weeds on this and something we don't need to. But uh, we've talked a lot about mechanical direction. Should we, I mean, there's also ways like within um, genre or tone uh, that's just, you know, in the presentation of the game uh, or in the, you know, the writing, uh, in the art even. Uh, and in fact, art is a great way to convey direction. Obviously, it needs to be reinforced with mechanics, but I think we, we've talked about like covers a lot here before as, you know, it's your first introduction to the game and thus will determine quite a bit of the direction that your game takes. Yeah, especially the either genre direction, tone, and theme. Uh-huh. There's usually little a piece of cover art can say about character motivation. Well, if it does, it's not as obvious as the others. It can. Like, I know you and I had specifically talked about a particular, like, D&D cover where it's like oh we've got like a dragon sitting on top of a huge pile of gold and they're basically trying to kill the dragon and get the gold it's pretty straightforward and obvious what the whole point of the game was yeah well I, I art can address motivation but when it does, it's usually secondary to theme and tone. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, in general, art is usually pretty good at just telling you what what you think you should to do or encounter within a game. So, like, if you see, like, a character in the game picking an enemy up, swinging them by the ankles and throwing them into a wall kind of thing where it if you see something that looks like that you kind of expect that okay this is normal for this game i should be able to do this in the game and yeah if you can't do that then there's kind of a disconnect there yeah art is a very efficient way of setting expectations Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, I'm I'm not sure how this falls in. It's it's sort of how we frame mechanics. Like uh, a rolling a die is is very uh, universal, and then attacking is also universal. Um, but it's a little more specific as it's a type of action, but then we can sort of differentiate games, how they describe attacking. And, um, I was just looking at a couple of things where, um, like Blades in the Dark uses skirmish, uh, um, Dungeon World uses hack and slash. And then, uh, it's D&D is actually just attack, although they have, so many different actions with under under that um so i think just descriptions of actions um even though the mechanic might not be something special that directs 
uh, the, the, the description of the mechanic might direct a lot. Yeah, the flavor text, so to speak. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, I purposely name all the actions. I mean, it's just, it's the mechanic is essentially the same in Cut to the Chase, but since each action has a different description, it's very specific about the, the things you can do. Mm-hmm. But I think... Oh, sorry. Go right ahead. It's okay. Um, just to build on what Jonathan was saying, um, and I think what works nicely is that the wording couples nicely with what the mechanics do. So it feels rewarding to do an action that is well-described, and then it feels like an accurate representation of what that action is. Um, so the mechanics do couple with what the the words are uh, conveying to me in my mind. Yeah, which which gets us onto another big topic, which is the vocabulary of the game and how it does almost as much to establish direction as the art, mm-hmm. if not more, depending on the game. Yeah. Or depending yeah. on the player, for that matter. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. true as well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you're right, so like, yeah. You're all aware of my uh, obsession for my <laughs> game of replacing Latin words with, like, Anglo-Saxon words? Oh. <laughs> Viewers uh. may not be, or viewer. <laughs> but, well, yeah. They're, everybody's they're... aware of it now. So, yep. like, one of the things that I'm going to change is, like, I have a uh, a flaw called, right, that right now is called Quest. And it's described to be exactly what you would expect. But I'm going to change it to be Want. So it becomes any kind of desire or motivation. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always tried to be very careful about the words I use in my game um, because those, <clears throat> you know, like the name of an action or, you know, the name of something has a lot of impact upon how you interact with it. Um, and especially uh-huh. like the uh, the one that comes to mind a lot for me and I think is a good example, it's why I use it, is the moves from Powered by the Apocalypse because they're usually named something um, that's supposed to be kind of evocative. like act under fire or lash out physically um, or something like that. Uh, that's, you know, you're, it's almost something that you're supposed to like, it's almost something you can say while you're doing it. You're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get in a firefight, so I'm going to act under fire. And then it's like, okay, roll 2d6. Um, yeah, the, the, the evocative or idiomatic phrasing that they use supports the gameplay. Yeah, and, uh, and this as well with like the the GM moves and uh, all those other things. Like, I think that uh, a lot of my worry about wording comes from there. But this it, it's important in all role playing games to be very explicit and uh, good with your wording. Mm-hmm. I think one really important thing is that all of these different factors actually line up in the same way. Like, if you have a particular concept you want to stress heavily, then the visuals in the game, the text, 
the mechanics, everything should basically point in the same direction so that you just intuitively get the feel that this is what you're trying to do. If you come up with a very strong disconnect where one section basically says something completely different than everything else, then it's going to start throwing people off considerably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you take a very common mechanic like physical forcefulness, and whether you label that strength or might or brawn or something similar puts a certain patina on the concept that if you use the right one enhances all your directions yeah and uh with that, like, there's there's a lot of ways you can take that. Um, like, the difference between strength and brawn is is noticeable, but it's not huge. But, like, the difference between strength and having big fucking muscles, man, like, those are two very different things. Um, and so you have to kind of, you know, think about what that is. And sometimes, you know, having big fucking muscles, man, might be the right name for that attribute in your game. Mm-hmm. Which, if it is, let me play your game, because that sounds like fun. <laughs> it does sound a little cartoonish. <laughs> but it, it made me, when you said that, it made me think of, like, the contrary of, like, all the different ways that um, players, when asked to describe their 18 uh, fighter or whatever, their 18 strength character, it's there's such a broad range of how people describe that because strength is not so evocative as a descriptor. Mm -hmm. Um, And so you get, Oh, it's a lean strength. And then, you know, these others like, Oh, you know, he's big and brawny or, you know, this guy's overweight. Like you can just paint it any way you want. Um, That's, that's because D and D is old and that's one of the ways that it, allows players to project into it Mm -hmm. and that's this is we're getting into talking about capacity a bit um but that is kind of to a certain extent a strength for it if if used correctly because then um you know like each of those stats has different ways they can be applied like you know there's not one type of strength there's not one type of charisma uh for example and so you can you can play with that um, a little bit more than like, because having big fucking muscles, man, while possibly a really great thing, means that every time you have big fucking muscles, uh, it doesn't mean you can be a lean, wiry guy who's just really strong because he's got good technique or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It also kind of rules out like, you know, the stereotypical like little anime girl that punches people through walls. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yes, yeah, is. but the the label kind <laughs> of the label kind of pushes all those concepts aside. Yeah, yeah. it um, it it did exactly what it was intended to do, or at least it should be, because um, like you said, Fred, if this is a game that's about humor and big fucking muscles, man, is a stat, then it conveys a message of what that kind of game experience is going to be through the wording and through what the actual um, ability should be. Um, 
but it, like Carrad said, it doesn't allow you to project your own image onto it anymore. You are given the image by the game for what you are intended to play as. Yeah, it's it's a very <clears throat> it's a very vivid image. Yeah, unlike yes. something, unlike a label like Strength or Might or Brawn that still has the, a good amount of wiggle room to project into. Um, there's another major thing about um, definition in a game that does stand out, especially since we're talking about like the stats or attributes of a character. And it's something that it took me a long time to try to phrase things to avoid certain issues there. Like, I very explicitly wanted to avoid having a stat for, say, a character's intelligence or their charisma. Because I didn't want to define the character's personality through their stats. Like, you, you have, like, somebody who's strong, it's like, oh, well, you can increase their strength or decrease their strength. Doesn't really guarantee that the character has a certain mindset or a certain way of doing things or what their capabilities are other than in the physical. It doesn't alter um, who their personality is. But if you start saying, like, oh, yeah, they have high wisdom or they have high intelligence you've just explicitly uh defined part of their personality just by using those terms at all mm, no I, I would argue against that like just saying someone is intelligent or wise That says more about how they, like, what they bring to the table than how they'll react or comport themselves. Not necessarily, no. Like, there's definitely been quite a few cases I've had in games where, like, somebody will uh, be upset at me because oh your character is doing something that doesn't seem very intelligent uh and it's like no it's totally intelligent they're just not thinking ahead very far like that's like in that particular example it was like D&D character it was just they had very low wisdom high intelligence it worked fine yeah I mean I, I this is a I don't necessarily disagree with either of you, but it, it, it does sort of show like player and designer differences because mm -hmm. of that. <laughs> um, and it means that um, like Kat has made a very specific choice to direct in a certain way and to leave certain tools. We, we might even call them tools for direction out because she doesn't like the way that she's noticed people be directed by them. If if that makes sense, I would sound a little convoluted. But well, it, physical physical attributes are 
easier to conceptualize and they stay within a certain lane. Like once you start getting it to um, mental and psychological aspects of the character, then they start bleeding almost entirely into how into the play of the character. Like the mindset of the character, like strength is not going to change how you think, but wisdom does. And like the, the purely physical aspects are just there. Like you can shade them however you want, but they don't necessarily steer how the character gets played. Yeah, that's kind of Whereas my point. Mental, mental attributes do steer how the character is played. Yeah. And it, I think, and I, I guess this is to my, like, I kind of, I would lean a little to how Kat likes to use or not use them because it, it's a really weird when, um, for example, in D&D, uh, if the GM is so if everyone rolls a perception and everyone uh passes you could say that everyone gets the same information but realistically wouldn't that person with a wisdom of 18 just be able to get more out of that information than the person with a wisdom of six there's there's that but there's also things like to use the D&D example further like one thing that had explicitly become a design goal for me because it kind of annoyed me was the idea that in D&D there's no reason at all period for a fighter to have high intelligence like apparently there's not a single general in the entire planet okay, who so has like an idea of how an army runs how does this apply to the direction of the game? Because we're getting a little a little off topic here, a little in the weeds, I think. No, I think that does alter the direction of uh, the character significantly because it's basically telling someone that there is... Actually, it's more in the sense of direction because we're setting up direction versus capability. If there's no capability to do something, the lack of capability basically enforces a direction. Hmm. Well, let's also acknowledge that since we're using a D&D example here, that D&D characters are not necessarily meant to be generals and be commanding armies until well into the campaign. So D&D doesn't really focus on that or things like it I suppose but even so it basically means that you can't really have a fighter who has less actual strength but uses leverage and you know physics and stuff to be able to lure people into positions so that they can still beat them physically, like. Oh yeah, just, you can. Yeah, you can. That's just yeah, a different kind of strength. 
Well, okay. If you take strength literally, then you're not able to project a Taekwondo master into D&D, but if you if you twist a little bit to include the Taekwondo tactics of using leverage and momentum against the opponent, then yeah, you can. Yeah, at that point, though, it's like once you start getting into things where you have to start adding things that aren't really explicitly in the game and you're basically house ruling it i i'm not sure if i really consider that to be part of the game's capabilities because that's more like well you can do one at that point so it's not the game that's capable it's the players that are rewriting the rules which are capable i think something that like when we talk about attributes and and maybe skills that we're sort of um, stuck on right here, uh, when we're considering how they work or how you use them for direction, it's sort of the combination of an attribute and or skill with the actual action that's being done. So if um, in my game, I have the attribute big fucking muscles, man, and it's a game about crocheting socks, um it it doesn't it doesn't direct it 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 doesn't compute uh mm-hmm. and and that's why in, intelligence doesn't compute as a as something for a fighter even though we, we all know that intelligence is very important for a fighter in, in a in a realistic setting um and on on, on the same note where it where strength doesn't compute for a, a wizard. I mean, at that point, you basically can start arguing. Oh, well, it's his mental strength. Right. I, I, I just mean... Yeah, I think it's a little too vague at that point. But, but I mean, the, the, um, but that exists. That vagueness exists, and I think that's weakness in game design. Yeah, in those cases, it, these are like the most widely probably debated uh, things in D and D, like no, intelligence that, for fighters. That would definitely, would be um, your alignment in D and D. Well, yeah, okay, some of the most. Then, <laughs> yeah. Something right. else I want to bring up real quick since we're here is going back to vocabulary a little bit is and i think we all kind of follow this pattern even though we don't really consciously realize it is players take better to words that are positive for things that are supposed to be positive rather than negative words for positive things that's why the attrib- that's why there's why the attribute is strength and not weakness hmm. is going to be more strong right so something i've wrestled with on occasion in my game is finding the word that paints the aspiration 
that I want rather than the desperation. Yeah, I can see that. Like, we know that's kind of a thing, which is odd because if you look at something like, say, the big five personality test thing, like, it describes everything in positive terms, except for neuroticism, which is described in a negative sense. And a lot of people would have put forwards that it's a negative aspect of someone's personality. Why is it in there with all the positive things? Couldn't you change it to something that's positive? But it just naturally showed up based on the way they were defining the terms in the first place, which was just yeah, basically polling people to see which word they tended to associate with it. Yeah, I, I, th I think with that trait, they kind of defined neuroticism in a neutral way, but it has all this negative baggage on it. Yeah, it's a little weird how that happened, but it definitely does show that even though it's not necessarily a bad thing, the way that it's phrased is put in such a way that, yeah, it definitely does have a very clear situation where people are reacting poorly to it just because it comes with all that baggage. All right. Okay. Okay. There, there is one more thing I would like to mention then before we... And it kind of goes back to um, what we were doing for reaction in regards to mechanics, and that is explicitly... Normally we avoid this, but... And normally we're like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter, but I think in this case that actually does, and that's your, uh, your resolution mechanics do kind of matter, especially if you're trying to emphasize certain things, like... I'm trying to emphasize uh, player choice and the concept of, like, well, what they said in like, Terminator. It's like, no fate but what we make kind of concept. So, like, the very aspect of the mechanics that I'm using in terms of uh, that luck and die rolls are heavily downplayed because it's just not the point of the game like you're supposed to be figuring out uh how to your choices actually impact on the outcome and if your choices simply don't matter because luck overrides whether you were doing something smart or dumb it's like oh i was doing a dumb thing but i rolled high so it worked anyway or i was doing something really clever but I rolled low, like it just kind of defeats like what you're supposed to be learning as a character from that, and it gives conflicting information. So I think that kind of a uh, resolution mechanic actually needs to be uh, considered as well, based on what you're trying to emphasize in a game. Yeah, there are the the presumption in most games i think is to learn from success but there are games that turn that on its head and have characters learn from failure there's a couple of games i think 
I think Burning Wheel is one of them. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's one of the ones where you can only increase a skill if you fail at it. Yeah, something like that. I believe that's true. The whole other system in that game is really complicated, so... (laughs) Yeah, there's... Yeah, like, what I looked at at it is, like, I am never going to play this game, but it it has some interesting concepts, but I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Alright, well, now that we're talking shit about Burning Wheel, uh, we're going to call that a week. We'll be back... (laughs) next week uh with more on this next time we'll we'll talk mostly about capacity uh and a few other things but thanks for listening uh follow us on social media twitter uh pornhub facebook uh farmersonly.com you know whatever whatever your preferred area of choice is and uh have a good week oh yeah you can come join our discord you can come join the discord in which we record this although you can't actually come into the part where we record because that's special but uh yeah uh so have safety a good reasons <laughs> yeah mostly for your safety not ours yeah um, we, we don't want anybody getting infected with whatever it is we have <laughs> yeah nerditis for that shit <laughs> I don't I, think they would sell it to us even if we had to. I don't think we could <laughs> afford it. Uh, but anyway, thanks for listening, uh, listener. Have a good week. Uh, design good games. We'll be back soon. And uh, have a good night. Yeah, good night. Good night. <laughs>